Welcome to the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Monday, December 30th, and to be honest, listeners, it's weird just saying that. We are two days away from the start of the new year. I think we are less than that from the start of the new tennis season. In fact, I believe there will be challenger action going on today, the first challenger action of the 2020 season. Again, that idea of it being the 2020 season is just weird to say because we've obviously been doing our best of the decade series on the Great Shot podcast. Everyone on tennis Twitter and just even not on tennis Twitter, just Twitter and the world in general has been looking at the end of the decade, the highlights, the lowlights, all of those things that come with the turn of the decade from that nine to a zero. And so it is weird to say, but 2020 tennis upon us before we know it. And that being said, we are you know, not quite done with our off-season preview. We, you could spend, you know, more than a month. And in fact, I'm sure the players wish they had more than a month to reflect on the previous season. Listeners, we know uh, we you guys want to start getting geared up for the 2020 Australian Open. And of course, we will begin to get you geared up uh, momentarily, you know, in a few weeks on this podcast. But still a bit of reviewing of 2019, still a little bit of 2020 preview projection for us to do here on the mini break. And that is why we are so thrilled uh, to bring on today's guest. Now, many of you listeners, of course, will know our guest's father, uh, Andy Katz, for his coverage at ESPN at CBS Sports Network of college basketball. He also did the NCAA selection show last year for CBS uh, for the NCAA tennis tournament, uh, getting, dabbling his foray into tennis. Uh, of course, I'm talking about Andy Katz. Now, on today's podcast, we don't have Andy, but in my opinion, we might have even better. We have his son, Sal, a monumental tennis fan, a guy who has been going to Newport as long as he's been alive a guy who's very involved in te- with the game of tennis himself. He compares his game, or he says he's been told that his game compares to Karen Hachanov, which, to be honest, that's a bold comparison. I like that quite a bit. You know, when he said that, I was like, Sal, we're going to get along brilliantly. You're cocky, I'm cocky. This is going to be a fun podcast because, as you listeners know, for me, it's Andy Murray or Bust from the hairline to the tennis game. So really fun to get the chance to talk with Sal. We got to talk about a couple of players, which you're going to hear about over these next two days from the podcast. And, of course, listeners, I'm sure you are all enjoying your Christmas, your Hanukkah, your holiday vacations as we ring in the new year. So uh, hopefully, you know, as we get to the new year's, hopefully your festivities, you'll be able to listen to a few podcasts, get you guys going. And of course, we are going to try and continue our daily coverage all the way through the start of the ATP WTA calendars. Maybe we'll sneak in a few preview podcasts still on the mini break, our college contender series ongoing as well with it being New Year's week. Uh, I will do my best to get Coach Ty Tucker. I'm sure he is hurting after his Buckeyes uh, got really a game stolen from them by Clemson last night in the college football playoff. Uh, but of course, as you listeners know, Coach Tucker is not one I'm going to let escape. He's a guy I'm going to go after till we can get him on the podcast. Seven coaches up, seven coaches down. Tucker's not going to be the one that escapes me. So college contenders coming in later in the weekend. We will try to get our last GSP best of the decade college edition out before the start of the new year if it's a little bit after. Hopefully you listeners will indulge us by still listening. But as I mentioned, we still have some off-season previewing to do before the 2020 season gets underway. So with that in mind, enjoy mine and Sal Katz's conversation today about young American breakout star of 2019, Amanda Anisimova.
Joining us now on the Mini Break Podcast, you may recognize him for the appearance he had with Blair Henley on the U.S. Open uh, during their U.S. Open live show. One of the bigger fans of the tennis world I have heard of, and of course the son of Andy Katz recently making his transition to the NCAA tennis world. Sal Katz, welcome to the Mini Break. Great to have you. Thank you very much for having me on the show. No, of course. Look, anytime we can have some youth injected, anytime I can feel like the older person on the pod, that's always <laughs> good news. Definitely. Yeah, and so for our listeners who uh, may not, you know, who want to know, how how'd you get into tennis, Sal? I, I know you grew up in the Newport area, right? Yeah, I grew up in the Northeast. Uh, I've just, I when I was little, dad put a racket in my hand around eight, and then I was jumping through sports, and then I decided that, I don't know, I just really liked it. Something clicked for me, and then ever since then, I've been a big tennis fan. I feel like amongst young people, and I, you know, I'm 24, just so you know, Sal. So I, it's not like I'm old yet, but I feel like tennis gets a bad rep. Yeah, no, definitely. I feel like there's some kind of stigma that team sports can over can always outplay tennis because there's more heart to it. But at the same time, there's that individuality and that mental strength and that physicality within that's just like I think is the true like makes tennis such a true and amazing sport to watch. See, that's music to my ears. It really is. It's what you make of it. You will be as good as the amount of work you put in. I agree. That's why uh, it's such an appealing sport, especially when you're younger. But before we get into our preview stuff, I have to ask, if you were to compare your own game to any player on tours, who would you pick? Well, I've actually been told this multiple times. I play very much like Karen Hatchinoff. I have a pretty flat forehand. Yeah. I have a <laughs> pretty flat forehand. And uh, a few, a few is backhand, like kind of, you know, we kind of do it the same way. I'm still working up to a serve, though, in mileage, but, you know. <laughs> no, I'm glad to hear it. Are you saying that you also look like a Hemsworth? Is that what you're trying to tell me? Oh, if only. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's awesome. And then the last one, you and your dad get on the court right now. You taking the W? 6 <laughs> I can easily beat him. That's what I like to hear. Well, as our listeners know uh, on our mini break podcast, and, you know, we are past holiday season, but we are still before the start of the new year. But tennis is almost upon us, as we've been doing throughout this offseason. We are doing a preview series here to get our listeners ready for the 2020 season, have them equated with the players we think will be most consequential come next year. And I know, you know, when we were texting back and forth to get this ready, there were two players who stood out, or, you know, you gave me your list of 10, but the two we went with are Denis Shapovalov and Amanda Nisimova. So, listeners, that's who we're going to be talking about today. As always, have to start ladies first. So, let's start with Amanda Nisimova. And in our usual batch of questions, we always would like to start with why is this player interesting? Sal, for you coming into the 2020 season, why is Amanda Nisimova a player to watch? Well, I definitely think she had a breakout 2019. She won her first title in Bogota, Roland Garros semifinalist. Um, she was, she's extremely tall, but she's able to move extremely well as well. Um, she's an American on the rise, which I think in men's tennis has been lacking a little bit. And we see extremely, she's just a composed person. Her mental maturity is far above a lot of the next generation, I would say. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, you look at the big number things for her. It was her first full season on the uh, WTA yeah. Tour. But, uh, you know, she put in, a, she had a ton of success. She played three of the four premier mandatory main draws. Obviously, uh, that semifinal at the French Open stands out. But fourth round at the Australian Open as well, 24 and 15 overall in the year. One title, uh, another final to her name. And as you mentioned, she ends the year ranked number 24. And you look at the players under the age of 18, Sal, right now. 
now in the WTA rankings. I mean, it goes, uh, I believe, oh, I think she actually may have just turned 18, so I think that might be incorrect. Uh, in fact, she is a fresh 18, but you look at the players under 19, and she's the highest ranked under 19-year-old, and that's a testament to the success she's had. She's, yeah, she's completely out of the park. She has that whole, you know, just vibe about her where she just knows exactly what she's doing. She's just meant to play this sport. Um, yeah, it's just everything's go, everything's in line for her. Yeah, and, you know, for listeners who aren't aware, she was obviously a very highly touted junior player as well. Uh, you know, she has, I believe, a junior slam to her name. I want to say she won the junior U.S. Open in 2017, uh, and I think she beat Coco Goff in the final there. So obviously, yes. uh, Amanda was a name that, if you've been a fan of tennis, you've been aware of for these past couple of years. But you, we, we've talked about the results, but in particular on the court, the on-court product. You talk about her being so tall and just the weapons that come with her physical talents. What, to you, was the most impressive part of her game in 2019? Well, first, she was able to come out of really nowhere and surprise everyone at the Australian Open. You know, made the fourth round of Australia. She kind of destroyed Sabalenka. Um, and she was she won her first title in Bogota, and she beat, tricky, she beat a tricky opponent in Astra Sharma in the finals. She plowed her way to the quarterfinals, beating Simona Halep in the quarterfinals. And I, it was a testament to the way that she could, the level she can play. She was, you know, and she has that never-say-die attitude where she was so close to beating. She was actually really close to beating Barty. I would have most likely beat Ivan Trusova in the final had she won that match um, at the Roland Garros in the semi. Um, also, you know, being down 0-5 against Barty in that first set in that semifinal and able to come back and force that tiebreaker and actually win that set was just like a true example of the weapons that she's able to produce with her forehand. Her, like she has, it's a very flat ball when she wants to, and she is just a very offensive game in general. Oh, absolutely. And again, I think we, when you look at all of these young uh, women who have had such successful breakthroughs thus far on the WTA Tour, you know, whether it's players like a Bianca Andreescu, a Naomi Osaka, yeah. uh, they're big hitters, right? That's the way to have success uh, on the WTA. You have to be able to bash the ball. And for Amanda Nisimova, she's got as much firepower as any of those young players. Now, you mentioned uh, that match she lost at the French Open to Ashley Barty in three sets in the semifinals. Yeah, that loss I'm sure stings for her, but even more after being up a set, but for her to beat number three seed Simona Halep two and four, I think Halep was the defending French Open champion. She was, I mean, yeah. Yeah, when was the last time? You know, you, wins like that don't come often. That is such a special moment, and it, it, it's a testament to her talent that, she, you know, her firepower, she was able to take it to someone in Simona Halep who's as scrappy as anyone. Yeah, you know, definitely. She she played that match perfectly. She, you know, she walked out on court. You know, some people, like, would be extremely nervous. I mean, you know, I love Nadal. If I was playing Nadal, I'd be freaking out. But, you know, I she just had she just had such, like, a maturity in her mentality. And I think it was so evident in that she was not phased by the win. You know, she had a quick smile when she won. But there was no collapse on the court or anything. She was not surprised. She knew she was meant to be on that center stage. She knew she was meant to be on that court. Yeah, and it's funny that you mentioned the win uh, over Sabalenka at the Australian Open. I mean, you know, she's 2-0 against Sabalenka. She took a tour at the French, 4-2. and I mean, to do that, back-to-back slams, especially, you know, that fourth round in Australia, uh, it was out of nowhere, as you mentioned. So that in itself, if you as a 17-year-old, you're making the fourth round of a professional slam, that's outstanding. But to follow that up and make the semifinals, and in that stretch of time, I believe she got... Uh, her first title as well. You look at her across the surfaces, you know, 12 and 5 on the clay, 9 and 8 on hard court, 3 and 
too. For me, and let me know if you agree or disagree with this, I think the biggest positive was just how well she sustained her level throughout the year. There was no just big breakthrough, then a string of first-round losses. She was just really good for a while. I definitely. I mean, she did struggle a little bit in the Indian Wells Miami, which I think is something that we'll talk about later about what she could work on. But she definitely was able to just hold her own throughout the year, and she made a she made a you know made an opening, she made an entrance, um, and made herself known to the whole tennis world um, positively. Yeah, and I'm curious for you. Do you think I, obviously she makes that semifinal in clay? She gets the title in Bogota, also on the clay, uh, and it's been a very limited sample size, but. I thought her game translated pretty well. Too early to say on grass, but I mean that those firepowers on a hard court. I think it's going to translate really well across both hard court and clay for sure. Well, of course, yeah. I think that unfortunately, um, when her father passed away this August, she missed out on the U.S. Open, most of the U.S. Open swing. Um, so she was not able to really showcase the hardcore talent as much as she could have. But I definitely think she has that within her, and I think that if she's able to regain that level again at following the passing of her father and coach, um, then I think that she can be a force to be reckoned with on the hard court as well. Absolutely. And I'm glad you brought that up because that is obviously something as fans, uh, you know, so crushing to see that sort of thing happen to Amanda, especially because again, she just turned 18 years old. Uh, it's just so early in life, but yeah, I, I think just Hopefully, she will be able to rebound off of that because tennis-wise, she did deal with some injuries as well this year, but I thought, you know, tennis-wise, I mean, she could. Be, there were strings of inconsistency, as you mentioned. I mean, physically, I, would, I think movement-wise, as she grows into her body, she's only going to get better. But if you look at the negatives uh, from her season in 2019, and not that there were many negatives, but for me, that may be the thing is there were times when physically, you know, on the court, she's playing, uh, you know, a 26-year-old, 27-year-old, and there are times when you, when you can tell. Yeah, no, definitely. Right there, she plays very well um i would say when she has an opponent that is i would say better than her because she struggles i think more when the player is a little bit worse because you know we saw the at the final against astra sharma in bogota was much much closer than the simona Halep final on a much smaller stage so you look at that kind of thing and you see that she really needs like she has that idea of i can play on these big stages i can win at these big stages i can beat the big players but what do i do when, like, you know, the tournaments that I could be able to win much easier, how am I going to be able to win those? Yeah, and, and you know, this was her first full season, uh, first season in, in, where she could get into the majority of events she signed up for. But keep in mind, yeah, she had played, you know, two slams prior to 2019 in terms of uh, the Premier Mandatories. She did have that fourth round at Indian Wells last year, but this was really the first year where she got to play Indian Wells, Miami, Madrid, uh, you know, uh, the Italian Open as well on the clay, back to back to back to back. And to deal with the rigorousness of that sort of schedule, to deal with, you know, different countries, different cities, all of the traveling. I mean, yeah, as you mentioned, I'm, I'm glad you brought up that Indian Wells-Miami stretch because, you know, as well as she was playing for her to go to Miami, uh, lose to Muguruza, although I think she may have pulled out of that. And then in Indian Wells um, um, at 2018, or no, sorry, this was the year before, wrong year. In Indian Wells to lose to Mertens and Straits, then in Miami to go lose to Conteve in three sets. Although Conteve, I think, was top 15 at the time. I mean, it's a... 
Yeah, so it's not horrible, but you know that Acapulco stretch uh, through Miami, she went three and two, especially after making that fourth round of the Australian Open to see that dip. I mean, that's the sort of hangover that comes after your first big Grand Slam result, right? Yeah, definitely. Although I would argue that she definitely she continued this premier mandatory slump into the clay season because we look at this. I think her worst match of the year was against, and it was three sets. Um against Marta Kostyuk, um, who also had a breakout of the 2017 Australian Open, um, where it was a 06-62-06 defeat. Um, I don't even think it was, like, main draw at that point. That was just one of those moments where she was just not herself, I think, and where I think she struggled at that kind of stage, where it's a bit of a smaller tournament, lesser-known player, but still struggles because she doesn't have, like, you know, she doesn't feel like the underdog. Yeah, sure. Or then the next week in Rome, right? Which isn't a mandatory, but it's a premier five. And she wins her first round against Potapova. But with all due respect, Kiki Mladenovic, much older than Amanda Nisimova, but just in terms of raw firepower, in terms of ground stroke, you'd think moving forward, that's a match uh, that will be on her racket that she will need to win. But I agree with you. It's, you know, there were moments of immaturity. And then at the same time, though, to go to Rome, losing three sets to an incredibly physically fit Kiki Burton, 7-5 in the third. I mean, it gets it gets back to the fact that she does possess so much talent, and that's so evident to anyone who watched her play throughout the year. Uh, but I, I guess for me, we mentioned the movement earlier, and I guess, uh, you know, in terms of negatives, it's hard to say there are negatives when at 18 years old you're ending inside the top 30. But I guess in terms of things you think she could improve on, Sal, as we move into 2020, the next decade of tennis, what are the things you would highlight for her? Well, obviously, I think she'll be headlining the next 10 years along with Pogo Goff and I could see Potapova becoming a next Sharapova but you know you see she just can she needs to continue to gain match experience um just in general with consistency levels especially on the premier level like I've been talking about premier international she needs like a, a better like backbone almost just of you know what she needs to be doing and what she needs to understand is how to beat the players that are lesser than her in level and in ranking. Um, but I also think she needs to recenter her focus um, and grow from the death of her father rather than let it be a weight on her back. You know, it's kind of understand as much, you know, the strength that she exhibited after that. She was two months after the death of her father, she went to go play in the Asia, in Asia and she won a few matches there. You know, I think if she can continue that mentality of, you know, this isn't going to define me, I can move on from this, you know, I, you know, and not like it be almost like a, a Monica Sellis where, you know, the stabbing really just, we, everyone had thought it destroyed her career, and then she had a bit of a lame duck swing and then was unfortunately you know, not able to continue her amazing success. I think Anna Samova can grow from this tragedy, um, and I think that she can you know, continue to develop the game um, off of the father, off of, um, her father's death. Yeah. Listeners, just to be clear, this is a 14-year-old making a Monica Sellis reference. Gotta love that. Love that. Um, immersed in the history. Yeah, uh, certainly. And I think... Tennis-wise, look, the, the, the forehand, the backhand, so evident how much power she possesses from the ground stroke. It's so clear that, you know, I, I think why that Halep match in particular was so uh, was such a good matchup, it's because I think to beat her, you have to have a weapon. If you can take time away from Amanda Nismov, and that sounds very simple, but, you know, it's it's very difficult to take time away from all of these top pros. But if you give Amanda Nismov a time, like a Simona Halep did, uh, I, I think that's the sort of thing 
that she thrives on. And I, so I guess in terms of the improvement for me, it's the movement. It's that when you're playing an Ash Barty or a Carolina Pliskova, uh, two players she lost to thus far in her career, uh, they're going to have weapons. They're going to move you into the corners. And hitting out of those corners, obviously the most difficult thing to do in tennis. And it's always a good thing when the thing you need to improve on most is fitness because that's the thing that's most easy to improve. Uh, but but certainly that's the thing she would like to see more of. I mean, staying healthy for a whole season, that would be great. The other thing I would say, I mean, none of the, I, it, I, with the exception of maybe Ashley Barty, I don't know that any of these young WTA players are that comfortable at the net yet, but there's no denying the way she hits her ground strokes. She could have so many opportunities to move forward. And I, I don't know what you I don't know what you think. I'm curious. Do you think, you know, the net component, her moving forward, that's I feel like that's the last piece before she becomes, you know, almost Pliskova esque. And I think Pliskova's a really good comparison for her because they're both tall, uh both very skinny, both just bang balls from the ground uh, from the ground strokes both wings incredible power but the way Pliskova moves forward I think that's a weapon that Anisimova does not have yet yeah definitely I think that you know with any kind of the young any kind of young player excluding Stefanos Tsitsipas they lack the serve and volley skill because I think that just died out when we've talked about you know what in, to survive on the WT tour you need to have be a hard hitter and I think that that's so much more of the culture now in the tennis swing is that serve and volleying is dying out with the, you know, with the rackets becoming, you know, making every ball faster. People want to stay at the baseline, grind it out. Um, but I definitely think, you know, to lead wave, like, you know, to bring back that serve and volley, that would be definitely be, you know, a shock to the opponent's system because not many players are doing that anymore. So I do agree that she definitely, that could be a part of her game that could be good to work on. Yeah, and I would also say you mentioned the serve earlier. Uh, I think that's a really good thing to mention because you look at her stats from the year, and, and I'm not expecting her to, you know, rule the world with aces, but you know, 49 aces against 135 double faults, that's just not going to get the job done. She won 57.2 of her service points overall, but only 62% of his of her first serve points. You look at the top players on tour, all of the top 10 players uh, in terms of percentage conversion are over that 70% mark. I think all of the top, you, you look at it, it's the top 20 are all over. They win 70% of their first serve points. Obviously, the first serve as a weapon is something you want. Only uh, 47.1% of her second serve points won. That's another thing you'd like to see her improve. Uh, but one of, you know the flip side of that in terms of the return game, I think that's something she doesn't get enough credit for. If you give her a sitter of a second serve, I mean, she's going to go Mach 12 on it. And when she can control points, as we've mentioned, that's when she looks her best. Oh, definitely. I think that with the serve especially, she has a great serve, which I had mentioned. But again, with the, like I talked about with her game, it's the consistency level that needs to be brought up. And especially on the return game, yeah, we saw her forehand and her backhand. Just like, She has just quality shots to, you know, to go off of. And I think that she does not get enough credit for it um, because she doesn't flaunt it as much as I would argue other players might. Um, so she's just, she definitely has the weapons and she definitely can grow as that player. And I think 2020 could be a year for her to yeah, remember. Yeah. In terms of top 100, and again, keep in mind, she uh, did not play a full season, but she was number 21 in terms of second serve return points one per, by percentage on the WTA Tour. She was number 31 in terms of first serve return uh, points one at 39.4%. I mean, again, she's 18 years old. 
the serve yeah. is going to get better with repetition, as we both oh, know, Sal. you got to go out with your basket every day if you want to get better. You know, that's just how it works on the serve, and that's the, the fun of tennis. But I completely agree with you. I think that she is so proficient at so many areas. And again, in the modern-day WTA game, you have to be able to bang the ball from the baseline. You have to be adept at multiple surfaces. And she clearly is. And so as you look forward to 2020, you know, health issues aside, assuming she enters the year fully healthy, she's going to be ranked in the top 25. So she'll get into whatever event she wants to play. Let's start with best case scenario for her, Sal. How do you see 2020 going if it's going to be the year of Anisimova? Um, first of all, I'm going to go on a, you know, bold stance here. I think she could win a Grand Slam if she gets to that position. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Definitely. Australian Open, Roland Garros, U.S. Open, not Wimbledon. I don't think her grass game is fully developed yet, but I could see her cracking the top 10, becoming the top-ranked American, and winning a premier mandatory title, either Indian Wells, Miami, or Madrid. I don't see her doing as well in the Asian swing because of fatigue and injury. Um, But I still believe that if she is able to keep that level up, keep the consistency up, move on and mentally, move on is the wrong word, but to grow mentally from this year as a whole, um, I think she could have one of the best seasons on tour next year. Yeah, absolutely. And look, there are a lot of points for her to defend at the beginning of the season. So the pressure's on right away. You know, fourth round at Australian Open, that's not that's not just an easy result to get. As you mentioned, across there last year, she beat uh, Sabalenka third round, uh, ended up losing to Kvitova in the fourth. But she's also going to be seated at a lot of these events for the first time. And she's, I'm sure Amanda Nisimova has been seated at every tournament she's played, you know, from ages 11 to 17. But it's like now that you're at this level of professional uh, tennis— it's very difficult. And so I'm glad you said she may be the American who wins a slam. Well, hold that thought. I, I do want to get to that. But on the flip side of this, uh, worst case scenario, because again, as I mentioned, all of those points to defend. Let's say Australia doesn't go well. She loses first round there. Well, now all of a sudden she probably drops out of the top 30 back into that 50 to 60 range. Uh, now you're playing qualities at Indian Wells. You're playing qualities at Miami. You just have to play all these qualifying matches instead, which sucks. Uh, I guess for you, you know, injury aside, because a worst case scenario with injuries isn't even fun to speculate about, but worst case scenario for you, for Anisimova, is there a world where we see her after that incredible clay run last year, take a step back? Yeah, I think that she could still struggle to gain match consistency, um, through 2020, she's still mentally maybe a little lost from her father. She underperforms overall. I wouldn't say that she has a, a bad year, but more would be a year of mediocrity where she just puts in like, you know, a few few matches at every tournament, maybe picks up like a semifinal or a final at an international level, but does not perform well at the Grand Slams, is not able to defend any of those points, does not do well in the premier mandatory titles and just isn't able to like go to that next big step of, you know, winning that title or getting to the final of something or just getting some form of a trophy, you know? So that's it. Not that I'm comparing these two at all, but the worst case scenario, I think for a lot of these players and worst case scenario, I say it's like a Jeannie Bouchard thing, right? Where in 2014, she goes semifinals, semifinals, finals of Wimbledon. She made a quarterfinal at the Australian Open in 2015, but since 2016 hasn't advanced past a third round at a major, and there's only one third round there for her. It's that stagnation, right? Let's say the serve doesn't get better. Let's say she doesn't, you know, there's no 
mark no noticeable improvement in her game I think that's the worst case because uh, you know it's again the talent as we've discussed very evident for her uh but the other thing is there's a lot of pressure in that her cohort of young American women there there's a lot of talented uh, co- uh competitors for her to you know compete with to mark herself measure herself against and I'm curious for you you said she, you think she could be the American who maybe wins a slam or a man a premier mandatory event I'm going to throw some names out here you tell me if you think they're going to end the season ranked if Amanda okay. Anisimov is going to end the season ranked above or below them okay Madison Keys above really yeah I think that Madison she struggles with a lot of injury issues throughout the year and I think that She'll definitely have issues of defending points, um, especially in Cincinnati. Um, obviously, that's where she has the most points to defend. I just think that I don't Matt, She's just very, you know, inconsistent. Like a lot of these players, that you know, they struggle with the with consistency. I know I've talked about it a lot, a lot so far. So she's just, she just needs to work on that. Well, I, I, that's fair. I just. You know, for Madison Keys, I feel like this season was her worst-case scenario. It just didn't go, you know, at the slams, nothing clicked. Yeah. And she still ended the year, I think, inside that top 20, I want to say, like around that 15, 16 range. So that's tough. I think for Nisimova, she has to make a jump to pass Keys. Um, but that's, you know, we, we can get to that later. What about Sloane Stevens, higher or lower? Definitely higher because Sloane had a worst-case scenario season. Uh, she did not perform well really anywhere i think she she, yeah, she just had a lackluster season overall mm-hmm. all right for the record matt here's the top ranked americans right now serena number one at 10 madison keys 13 uh here's another name sophia kennan higher or lower oh uh she might be ranked lower than sophia kennan i could see her becoming more established as well she has Again, like beating Serena Roland Garros, I think Roland Garros was a good time to be American. She definitely <laughs> was able to uh, just show her worth. And she's not the most well-liked on tour, but she has one of the best games, I would argue. No, oh, I adore Sophia Kennan's game. It's just so different, right? The drop shots, the uh, the slices, all of these different things. And by the way, she ended the year ranked number 14. So, you know, that's someone Anisimova would have to jump. Although Kennan as well, a ton of points to defend. So it's going to be an interesting for year. All right, a couple more. Allison Risk, right now number 18. She had a dream season in 2019. You think Anisimova passes her? I think if she has a best-case scenario season, she could. But if Allison Risk is able to keep up the level, I would say that it might. she might still be below her. But it's. I think Allison Risk is more depend, dependable than the other two. Yeah, that, that's, that's interesting. Are you, so here's a non-Anisimova-related uh, question. Who ends the year ranked higher, Keys or Risk? Oof. Tough predictions I mean, here. By the way, I'm holding you to all of these. I'll text you one year from now and be like, dude, Sal, what the heck? Uh, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll put some faith in Madison Keys. You know, I'll, I'll, if she's able to pick up a 2017 or even a 2018 season again, then I could see her performing much better than Allison Risk. But, it, you know, again, she had an, Risk had an amazing season picking up. I think maybe it was her first or second title in Esther Togenbosch and then able to do so well in Wuhan. Um, she just, and especially in Wimbledon too, like she just had such a great year. And so it'll be tough to see what happens. 
That was such good pronunciation of Esther Togenbosch. God, again, Sal, you're impressing more and more with each minute. Yeah, uh, I think it'll be uh, Nisimova again is clearly in the thick of things. Uh, and, you know, I think in terms of total events she played in 2019, it really wasn't that many. I think she played 16 total tournaments, which, you know, that's the most she's played at the WTA level in her career thus far. Uh, but that will certainly not be the most by the time, uh, you know, she's in the thick of things in her of 20s course. playing her most matches. So, yeah, that's going to be really interesting. Okay, I want to compare her quickly to some of the other young Americans, and then we can move on. Uh, Coco Goff, obviously coming. I, not that Sophia Kennan's not young, by the way, but Coco Goff coming on so strong of late. You think she surpasses Anisimova this year, or you think Anisimova's got her? I think Anisimova's got her. I think Goff, she's an amazing player, but she needs more time to develop, and I think that you know, maybe just the whole effect of having to defend all these points might weigh down on her a little bit next season. I agree. I'm uh, just give me, yeah, a little more seasoning sounds ideal. Yeah. Uh, Katie McNally, similar age range, but obviously Anisimova has played the slams more, higher or lower. I would say again, Anisimova would be higher than her, just because McNally, like Goff, just needs more time to develop. I think more time to work on her skills and to develop her game more fully, so that she can get to that level she played really well against Serena at the U.S. Open but she still needs more time that's fair last one uh last question for you and it's in terms of a comparison so we just did our best of the decade series looking at the 2010s but looking at the 2020s you look at the cohort of young American women and I'm gonna throw Kenan in this mix from Kenan Goff we'll throw CeCe Bellis Katie McNally Whitney Osigwe and Amanda Nisimova so that's six players right there who ends up with more slams in the 2020s? Those six young American women or the three Russian men in Hachnov, Medvedev, and Rublev? Who ends up with more single slams when this next decade's all said and done? I will go with the uh, with the American women because Hachnov needs to work on his consistency. Rublev has been injured for a while, but Med- and Medvedev is going to go hot and cold. That's his style. He will crush out a summer and then crash out, crush out, crash out. Um, but I think with the women, Amanda, as long as they can keep their physicality up, you know, the, it's looking really bright for the Americans, I think. Yeah, it's a good bet. You're prob- I-, I would probably lean with you. Uh, the difference is there are so many talented young women right now on tour. I mean, yeah. the Osakas, the Benchiches, the uh, yeah. Ashley Bardis, obviously. Even, old, you know, the Keys and the Stevens, they they want their stays. The Pliskova, she hasn't won a slam yet. Uh, Simona Halep, all of these people. So th- that would be my only concern is there are so many w- women right now who have displayed the level of tennis it takes to win a Grand Slam versus on the men's side where it's wide open. Hope you enjoyed my conversation, I should say part one of my conversation with the wonderful Sal Katz talking about Amanda Nisimova, obviously Anisimova, a breakout star throughout 2019, but I'm telling you listeners, for a 14-year-old to be as well-versed in the world of tennis as Sal Katz is, it, it, it's not only something that's so entertaining, so amazing to listen to, but it gives you hope that clearly tennis is, uh, you know, it's affecting, it's something that's in- interesting young people as well, and you know, I'm not old, I'm 24 years old. 
old. And as you listeners know, I'm all in on the sport, but it's not just me. There are generations, you know, a generation below me who still, they see these young players like the Anisimovas, like the player at Sal, and I will talk about tomorrow in Denis Shapovalov. And it's inspiring. They're really fun young talents, really fun to watch. And that's why, in my opinion, the 2020s is going to be a really, really fun decade of tennis because there are so many talented young men and women on both tours. And obviously, we will continue to try and sneak in as many of these preview podcasts as we can before the start of the 2020 season, although it's December 30th, so it'll be upon us before we know it, and that's scary. I'm already looking forward to the return of Challenger Professional Tennis Action to my home city, Ann Arbor. You can't have a pro tournament there without me being there. Obviously, I'm going to make sure all these Challenger guys come and kiss the ring, give us a chance to talk to them, hopefully on Cracked Rackets. Some, you know, a lot of players in Australia, but I'm sure the Ann Arbor field will still be very fun, so we will be there on site. And for any of you listeners in Michigan who want to come say hello, want to chat a little bit, that's where I'll be all next week. So be on the lookout for that. I should say the week after, not this Monday, not today, but a week from today, that's where I'll be. So obviously we are really excited for that at Crack Rackets. And we've got a bunch going on. It's 2020. It's a new year. It's a new season. We've got a ton of fun stuff planned for you listeners, not only on this podcast, but on our other podcast, the Great Shot Podcast, the Cracked Interviews Podcast. Obviously, we are thrilled, as we mentioned, to bring College Tennis Ranks Chris Hallioris officially onto our team. I feel like you could have said that for these past two years, but we are going to make it official, and it will help us produce new, really fun content for the college season come 2020. Of course, our College Contender Series and all of our, you know, the Cracked interviews we did over this offseason all can be found on our website, CrackedRackets.com, for the more immediate updates, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, all of the accounts at Cracked Rackets. Shout out as always, to these super producers, Max Fligner and Daniel Westoff, who have a of an editing job to do. And look, I try not to give too many individual shout-outs other than to those two, but since this pertains to them, have to give the happiest of birthdays to our super producer, the man himself, Daniel Westoff. Westoff, give yourself a happy birthday sound effect, please. Happy I mean, seriously, listeners, if you enjoy these podcasts, the frequency of them, give a huge happy birthday shout-out to Daniel Westoff, because none of this happens without the tireless work he puts in night in night out putting up with my nonsense you should hear some of the rough drafts of these podcasts not you may hear the actual draft and you're like oh, not a good interview from alex well trust me they would be 15 fold worst if it weren't for the work that westoff and of course fleetner but westoff very much does each and every night so huge shout out to him and of course happy birthday sexy you know that i love you uh, but with that in mind for our lovely co-host tonight sal katz who again you'll hear from on tomorrow's mini break as well for our super producers max fleetner daniel westoff and from our entire team at both Cracked Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. Not going to say a Happy New Year yet because we're going to sneak in another podcast tomorrow, but you know what we do say. That's the break, and we will see you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, everyone.